podcast is provided for general information and for general information purposes only and does not replace your financial, tax, legal or finance product advice. Hello everyone and welcome to The Female Investor, your chance to listen to two of Australia's leading property experts talking about all things property buying, finance, strategy and lots more. Kate Hill and Nicola McDougall are the authors of the book The Female Investor, Creating Wealth, Security and Freedom Through Property. Kate is an award-winning property mentor and coach, a qualified property investment advisor and founder of buyer's agency, Advisable. And she's a successful property investor herself. Nicola is an award-winning and prolific property journalist. She has been involved in property research, analysis and reporting for 15 years. And she is also a successful property investor herself. Property investment is one of the simplest, safest and preferred ways for women to create financial freedom. And with the right information to make an educated and informed decision, this can be achieved. If you know a woman who is concerned about her financial future, or maybe that's you. If you're keen to improve your chances of creating an income for life, then this is your place to learn, be inspired and motivated. Along with some special guests, Kate and Nicola will be offering genuine practical news and tips to women of any age to stake your claim on the property market. So come on, ladies, stay tuned and let's do this together. Hello, all you lovely ladies out there. It is Kate here. How is everyone doing out there? Nearly the end of the financial year in Australia. It is all going on. So today I have got, as usual, a couple of segments for you. The first is a bit of a strategy session about whether your next property should be a house or a unit. It's a question I get asked all the time. And then I've got some news items for you, uh, specifically the state of our rental crisis. Where have all the rental properties gone? Along with some other news items. So stay tuned. Okay, ladies. So if you've been reading the book, or if you have just generally been thinking about your first or your next investment property, then let's say that you will probably have a choice between a house or an apartment. The property that you invest in, really, it could reflect what is currently available in the market and how much you have budgeted for that particular investment. However, don't forget that the main idea of investing is getting the right amount of return for your dollar, right? Now, the question that I get asked a lot is, what is the difference between these two houses and apartments? Is one better than the other? It is a very fair question, so let's unpack the difference. How do we say this? So what makes an apartment or a unit a good investment property? Apartments are often considered an excellent choice for people just starting to invest in property. They are obviously much cheaper than freestanding homes, which are easier to maintain sometimes. So here are some key points that could make an apartment the ideal investment. The first one, affordability. Apartments, no surprise, it depends on area of course, are cheaper to buy. When you examine the median apartment price in most cities, they are noticeably lower than other properties. You are likely to have a reduced maintenance bill. Properties with less maintenance can make ideal places for renters. They don't like cleaning and pruning rose bushes all day, right? 
it makes them a very attractive option. Higher rental yields. The rent that apartments attract can be significantly higher than you may receive for a house. Obviously, that's based on how much you need to invest when calculated as a percentage. And the location. Apartments are commonly located in well sought after locations by some tenants. So CBDs, maybe tourist areas, close to workplaces. And you'll note that apartments are usually in an excellent location for services like public transport and, like I say, work nodes and entertainment options. If you only look at those positives, then apartments can seem perfect, right? But, as always, there are some downsides to buying a unit for investment purposes. Apartments often come with what we call strata scheme obligations. You are part of a corporation, right, or some sort of organisation that owns that block of apartments or flats. You will likely be one of many owners. Now, this can mean that you are not, well, it will mean that you are not in complete control of maintenance schedules or potential renovations. In one of these organisations or corporations, you usually have like one vote for each unit that you own in that complex. There'll be discussions and debates and votes placed on what can happen in that complex. So, for example, if some owners think that the car park needs resurfacing and enough people vote for it and you don't, you'll, you'll have no choice, but you've got to cover your portion of that cost. So this relationship can make controlling your costs quite challenging, especially if there are many owners that are owner-occupiers. So when choosing an apartment or a unit for an investment, really you need to investigate those extra costs and what's coming up. Read through all that paperwork thoroughly before you decide to purchase. Know what potential large special levies, for example, might be coming. And there can be massive repair costs with some of these newer builds. They, they have leaking roofs, plumbing issues, all sorts of problems. I mean, houses do too, but it's just quite common with some of these larger unit blocks. There are, of course, then those strata fees, the owner's corporation fees, which will eat into your cash flow. So while your rental yield might be better, those fees can be an absolute cash flow killer. It can be tricky to create a point of difference between your apartment and others, right? Uh, particularly when there is a big oversupply of lots of other units being built, perhaps, or that might be vacant at that time, especially, for example, during a COVID pandemics. We saw this a lot in our inner city unit markets here in Australia. So when you're in a big block of a couple of hundred units, how are you going to be different to all those others? And generally what happens is you have to slash that rent, which again negates that positive of there being higher rental yields. So what makes a house a good investment property? So houses are often considered a really good option for long-term rentals because the entire family can occupy them. There are some additional reasons you might want to consider a house as your investment. Things like capital growth. Houses are excellent for capital growth. And they often perform better than units. Again, of course, this will depend on the area. If you choose a house with a large amount of land, there could be potential for subdivision and developing that land further down the track. 
Houses tend to attract families or people looking for larger spaces like pet owners, and that can widen your potential tenant network. And it can have people staying a lot longer in your property, which means you've got fewer tenants coming and going. You've got fewer lease renewal fees. It can just be a good thing with regular rent payments. You are then, of course, the only owner, unless you own it with a partner. You are the only owner on a single block of land and you can choose when maintenance items occur and who completes that work. Now, obviously, if it's an urgent repair, that is a little bit different. But just generally scheduled maintenance, you are in sole control. You can renovate a house to increase its value. That is hard to do. But and of course, you're going to be required to check with local councils and city you know, authorities before any of those kind of significant works. And are there any downsides to investing in a house? Well, generally, units are cheaper. So houses will generally have a higher price. They're going to require a sizable amount of your total investment dollar. However, this can be offset by the potential return through improved value as you go. Now, I'm not saying that units don't grow in value. Of course they do. If well-placed and you're not one of 200 in a big block with a gym and a pool and all those things that just eat into your cash flow. As the sole owner of a house, you alone, like I said, are responsible for maintenance costs. So that can then make it more expensive as a downside, right? If the roof is leaking, like I said, it's an urgent repair, you have to fix it as soon as possible. And that's going to be costly. So how do you choose between the two? Many, many investors like to specialize in one or the other. But honestly, I think that the best option is to choose the property type based on its location and its suitability to you as an investor, right? You've guessed it. It is your risk profile. Do I not keep going on about that? <laughs> Ideally, you want an investment property that will attract the ideal tenant and somebody who's going to stay. You need your property to appeal to the local people who live there. So you need to investigate and research the location that you want to buy in. It can mean the difference between buying that ideal property and buying a property that is really challenging to find a tenant for. So obviously, no one's got a crystal ball. It can be really tricky to predict capital growth in specific locations. So read our book. Look at those you know, area choice research questions that you're making. Look for things like infrastructure spending, economic activity, population and wages growth, vacancy rates, all those kind of things, right? And then think about where you're going to put your investment dollars. The best option is not to focus primarily on an apartment or a house, but to find that property type that most tenants and buyers want in that area. And it has to be one that you can afford and that you can afford to hold. So choosing a property like that, I promise you, will provide awesome capital growth moving forward. And thus endeth today's lesson. Thank you, everyone. It was only little over two years ago that the shutting of our international borders was seemingly going to see our rental markets flooded with empty properties. And sure, for a short period of time, inner city unit stock in Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane actually did bear the brunt of our pandemic, but pretty much everywhere else started to experience the exact opposite. 
So rental vacancy rates had also actually been falling for a number of years in a lot of these areas before the pandemic. So their downward trajectory was already well entrenched by that time. So where have all the rental properties gone when our population growth has flatlined and dare I say it even declined a little bit if you look at the Bureau of Statistics figures? There are a number of answers to this question. It has been a perfect storm of factors that have combined to create one of the worst rental crises our nation has ever experienced, here in Australia that is. (laughs) So the facts are that right now here in Australia, the national vacancy rate for residential property is 1.1%, which is well below the equilibrium point of 3%, and it's the lowest rate for decades. In some capital cities, such as Adelaide, the vacancy rate actually fell to just 0.2%, which is the lowest ever recorded in any one of our capital cities. And if you've been listening to the podcast, then you will know that fact, because I have reported on that before. It was only a couple of months ago. The situation is just as severe in Brisbane, in Hobart, Perth, Darwin, etc., etc. Even those inner city unit markets of Sydney and Melbourne that were really struggling during the pandemic, right, because there was no tourists, there were no students, all the Airbnbs flooded the market as well. All those markets have well and truly recovered from those temporary vacancy spikes that happened at the peak of the COVID pandemic. Now, according to SQM Research, I quote that website all the time. Look them up, ladies. They're awesome. At the start of June this year, there were a grand total of about 56,000 vacant rental properties available in Australia. And that is about half the number that were available four years ago. Just think about that. And just remember that our country here in Australia, we have about 2.6 million rental properties. So you will start to understand how actually really tiny this number of vacancies really is. And such a critical undersupply of rental properties has and is resulting in rents soaring over the past year and a half, with weekly rents increasing by double digit percentages in many, many areas. Now, plus interest rates now on the increase at the same time as so few rental properties being available, that's going to put a lot of investors off, right? There's no question that rents are going to keep rising, and I would say probably for the next few years. And for any investor out there hesitating, that increase in rent is probably going to offset any tiny little increase in interest rates that we are going to be seeing over the next little while, they are still at historic lows. So just do your numbers. So how did we get here? Well, again, I've reported on this before. I'm going to recap. This situation was, you could say, it was written in the stars way back in 2017 when some bright spark out there decided it would be a really good idea to make it even harder for investors to secure mortgages. Sydney's property boom was petering out by that stage, as is the normal way of rising and falling market cycles. They all eventually end. But still, it soon became much more difficult for investors to borrow to purchase a rental property. And that was the case for anywhere around Australia, including those areas that hadn't actually seen any solid property price growth for a little while. So, Even if an investor wanted to add to the rental stock, 
many couldn't secure the finance to do so. So obviously that's resulted in the volume of investor activity falling for a number of years. That's what the government, that's what their policy and the financial regulators decided to do. So the number of investors hit a record low of just 22.9% of the market in 2020, when the historical average was about 35%. And prior to that 2019 federal election, Labour government took negative gearing policy to that election. It became a political hot potato again, and that hardly inspired. In fact, again, it put a lot of investors off. And those even who could secure finance didn't because they were nervous about that negative gearing policy coming into effect. So again, a lot less supply coming into the market. And then, of course, we've got the, or we just had during the pandemic, the possibility of investors having to provide free accommodation to their tenants at the start of the pandemic. Now, that didn't come to pass, but the mere fact of that idea that seemed to be perfectly reasonable option for a time will have inspired many investors to even sell their properties when those property prices started to rise in 2021. Now, added to that, most of that stock was then bought by homeowners, which means that the supply of rental properties has reduced even further. So here we are. In my opinion, market intervention, it generally always ends badly. <laughs> Plus, I also genuinely think that a lot of investors are just really sick and tired of being the cash cow for the government, as well as the punching bag for a lot of frustrated homeowners and have actually had enough. And hating on greedy investors really does seem to be a national sport here in Australia, even though 90% of them own just one or two properties, they provide the majority of rental accommodation in this nation because the government certainly doesn't and all investors are trying to do ladies as we keep talking about in our book is to create financial freedom for themselves so that they don't have to rely on the government to do that we're saving the money we're providing rental stock but hey the big bad investor it is little wonder that we are in the current situation that we're in and I also think that it is a situation that is about to get much, much worse. So watch this space as we keep reporting on those things from our property markets. Now, following on from that theme of where have all our rental properties gone and why that has happened, here is another news item for you. The supply of rental homes has halved, as I have already reported. So let me give you some more stats and figures around that. The number of homes available to rent has more than halved, as I just reported, from the number available several years ago. So domain.com.au, their rental vacancy rate report shows that the number of vacant rental properties in capital cities dropped by another 5.4% last month to hit new historic national lows. And again, as I've reported, that is 54% below what it was in May 2020. So vacancies ranged from that critical still 0.3% in Adelaide to a still very low 1.6% in Melbourne. Remember that 3% is that sweet spot that we generally look at in terms of equilibrium. Hobart's vacancy rate at the moment is just 0.4%. Brisbane is at 06 and Sydney is at 
please don't think that that is a high vacancy rate. 1.4 is still really, really, really low. There are many reports out there saying that many, many people are struggling to find somewhere to live and to rent. That rock bottom vacancy rate is making it really, really difficult. It's an incredible struggle for many people at the moment. There are women and people in Sydney who are living in really substandard rental accommodation. They can't move out because they'll be homeless. So the low vacancy rate does mean that some investors are not bothering to maintain their properties or are raising rents to unjustified levels. Keep in mind, everyone, that maintaining your rental property is crucial. You need to attract a quality tenant And this situation, while it might go on for some time, it's not going to last forever. So you will spend money to save money, lease renewals, tenants coming and going. It's much better to maintain your rental property and keep your tenant. The rental crisis is not likely to be solved anytime soon, according to me, but also according to finder.com.au. So they say that an increase in rent prices is adding to an already high cost of living, which obviously we're hearing about in the press all the time, with most tenants experiencing a rental increase in the past 12 months. Now, CoreLogic's figures for April show a median weekly rent throughout Australia being 9% higher than they were at the same time last year. Now, that's a median rent. They're actually going up much higher in some areas. Rents in Brisbane are up the highest with an 11% increase in the past 12 months. SQM research figures show much higher rental increases with three capital cities up 20% in the past year. Just think about that, 20% increase on your rent. Domains Nicola Powell has said that rents are likely to rise sharply in the coming months as a result of further drops in vacancy rates because there's just no supply. The current conditions, she says, bolster the likelihood of future rent increases and could see lower vacancy rates remaining in the coming months. Domain says that there are only 19,750 vacancies across our capital city markets at the moment. The Reserve Bank of Australia says that housing market conditions have become more varied across the different Australian markets in the past couple of months. And I would actually agree with that based on the experience that we're seeing at the moment buying property around the country. The RBA board says that prices, auction volumes and clearance rates have dropped a little in Sydney and Melbourne. But in most other capital cities and in our regional areas, prices are continuing to grow as a result of high demand and a shortage of supply. So the RBA board says that growth in advertised rents had also been particularly strong in these parts of the country, consistent with those very low vacancy rates. With the further lifting of the cash rate that we've seen, it's more important than ever that property investors do their research to secure assets, which are going to increase in value to hedge against inflation, which is obviously very high at the moment. Many mum and dad investors have done quite well in the past two years, I'll say, thank you RBA, with a substantial increase in their home equity and significant rent increases as a result of a tight rental market. 
Now, as I am sure that we are all aware, the Reserve Bank of Australia announced a 0.5 percentage point increase in the cash rate to bring it to a still very low 0.85%. The move is aimed at regaining control of inflation, which economists expect will near 7% by the end of this year. We'll see how that uh, forecast goes. Inflation is set to rise as the energy crisis continues driving up power prices on the east coast of Australia and petrol prices continue to climb beyond $2 a litre. The interest rate rise is the second consecutive increase which has lifted the cash rate from a record low of 0.1%. It is still historically super low. They say that this rise will cost the average Aussie mortgagee about $1,900 a year. Now, that's the average, right? The average homeowner will see their monthly repayments rise by around $160, which is equivalent to $1,907 per year just from this increase alone. They say that the RBA has sent a clear message. It is on a path towards normalising monetary policy and further rate rises will probably be required. While the federal election here in Australia and their announcements of new housing policies may impress home buyers, real estate agents do not believe that the residential property prices will be impacted by what is on offer. Most industry experts say that with the election now over, the market is back to a normal routine with plenty of potential buyers turning up to open houses and auctions. I would say it's actually slightly down. Anecdotally, I'd say that there are fewer buyers in the market. Not massively so, but there are fewer out there. Some say that real estate markets work on confidence and with the uncertainty of the election out of the May, markets will return to normal. On the basis that there will be no more shocks, the market has settled down. Real estate identity. John McGrath expects an increase in listing activity now that the federal election is over. Now, I would actually add to that personally that because of that interest rate rise, it is putting some people off listing their property for sale and buyers are a little bit more reluctant. So we should, I agree, that we'll see a little bit more equilibrium and perhaps what we would call normal buying conditions returning to our markets. But it's all very much a watch and wait. And that's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and found it super useful. You can email us with any questions that you have on info at thefemaleinvestor.com.au. Don't forget to order a copy of the book, The Female Investor. You can go to your local bookstore, pick it up on Amazon or Booktopia or anywhere that good books are sold. And you can head to thefemaleinvestor.com.au where you can click on the links and also find lots of resources on property investing, news, hints, tips and videos. We will be with you all again soon. Stay safe and well, everyone. Bye for now.